morning. Now that's the sound you might soon hear at your own front door. But before you say come in, who said that? Yeah, yeah, it's always good to find out who's at the front door, you know, before you actually say come in. What you, what you might find when you go to the front door and you look out, you might, you might see two rather well-dressed young men in white shirts, um, dark ties, black name badges. You might see also two bicycles there in the front yard. These are elders of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, better known to us as the Mormon missionaries. And just, just to give me a feel here in the Raleigh area, how many of you have had that knock already? You've had the, oh, okay, that's virtually everybody, okay. Or this could happen. You hear the doorbell, you go to the front door. There's two other people there, also well-dressed. But you notice they have briefcases in their hands. And basically, they have a magazine for you. It's called the Watchtower Magazine. They're operating out of the Kingdom Halls, and they're distributing materials produced by the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. We call these people the Jehovah's Witness. Okay, give me an idea. How many of you have had the Jehovah's Witness? Whoa, okay, wow. Some of you are raising two hands. What does that mean? I guess you get lots of those. Or this might happen to you. You're watching television, and a commercial comes on for this best-selling self-help book. The title of the book, it's called... Dianetics. And it's written by a science fiction writer, now deceased, named L. Ron Hubbard, who also happened to start a new religion called the Church of Scientology. Now, let me tell you something. We're living in a very critical area in American spirituality. I'm convinced that we are at a crossroads as a nation right now, which direction America is going to go in the area of spirituality. We're being surrounded right now by a myriad of alternative faiths, new religious movements, an influx of world religions. And there's a spiritual crossroads that we're at. And oftentimes, the interesting thing is many of these groups will come to us and they'll say, you know, we're the only true Christian church on the whole face of the earth. Or sometimes they'll say this. They'll say, you know, our message is compatible with Christianity. You can be a Christian and be a Scientologist at the very same time. But what we're really seeing in many of these cases, I think, can be better described by the term counterfeit Christianity. And actually, that's the title of my message, counterfeit Christianity. How, how can we as, as Christ followers, as believers, if we're really going to be salt and light in the culture where, where Christ has placed us, how can we recognize the difference between other Christian churches? Now, we know this. There are other Christian churches that have some practices different than we have. Or some beliefs that are, that are slightly different. But we know that they're brothers and sisters in Christ. But we also know this. There are churches out there that only appear to be Christian. But they, they deviate from the essential doctrines of the Christian faith. How can we, as Christians, recognize counterfeit Christianity? We've got to be able to guard our own hearts. And listen, we, we must be able to protect our families, our friends at school, our children, our grandchildren. How can we recognize counterfeit Christianity. The ministry that I happen to be blessed to be serving as president, Watchman Fellowship, is a ministry that God has raised up specifically for such a day as this. What we do at Watchman Fellowship, we're a missionary ministry, but we're a different kind of missionary ministry. While we do international work, primarily our focus is right here in the United States. You can think of us as homeland defense. And what we do is we do research on new religious movements and alternative faiths, 
And God has raised us up to be able to equip Christians to be able to, to understand the difference, to recognize counterfeits. But listen, we're, we're interested in much more than just recognition. We're also interested in reaching. Did you know, for example, according to the latest research, some of the latest data that's just come across my desk, most experts now agree that there's a better way to share our faith with the Mormon missionaries knocking on our door. There's a better way, they think, than by sicking your dog on them or wetting them with the garden hose. Now, I don't know what methods you've been using, but one of the things we want to take out of here today, the people in these movements, whether they're Jehovah's Witnesses, Way International, whether they're involved in Wicca, whether they're involved in New Age spirituality, whether they're Latter-day Saints, listen, the people in these groups are not our enemies. They're our neighbors, they're our friends. I want you to think with me. Except for God's grace, any one of us, we could be the Scientologist. We could be the follower of the Quran. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about not just the difference, how to recognize counterfeits, but how can we love and reach out, especially this evening we're going to talk about that. There's a couple of resources that our ministry has put together to help Christians in this area of recognizing and reaching out. One of them is our profiles. And this evening we're going to be passing out copies, 630, of our, one of our profiles. A profile, what we do is every other month, our ministry puts out a four-page briefing, if you will, on a particular doctrine or controversial individual or religious movement. And we, we, we summarize it in four pages. We call it the profile. Now, the one we're passing out this evening, now just bear with me, is on the spirituality of Oprah Winfrey. Now, just uh, more on that later. But we want you to know about what's happening in this area, and that's why we have this profile that we make available, and I'll I'll share more about that with you. And also we have a great witnessing library, four of our most important teachings, five hours of training in the area of New Age spirituality, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormonism, we have a DVD. I'm going to share more about that with you this evening about our witnessing library. Uh, I've also got with me uh, two guys that are trained apologists that have helped me before when I've been in North Carolina. They're from the High Point area, and you'll meet uh, Lucas and Jeff. They're out there at our resource table to help answer any question that you might have, and they're a very good resource for us to have. But I'm really excited about the best resource that I could ever tell you about when it comes to recognizing counterfeits. In fact, let me just ask you, what's the best resource God's given us? to be able to the Word of God. Take your Bibles, if you will, this morning. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. As we turn there, what we're going to do is we're going to see that the Apostle Paul has written this letter, this epistle, to the believers, the Christians, who were living in the city of Corinth. And he had chose the occasion to address the very thing we're talking about here this morning in Cary. He wants to talk about this area of deception. And how can we avoid and recognize and avoid counterfeits? 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, picking up in verse 3, the Apostle Paul writes and he says, But I am afraid, lest as the serpent deceived Eve, deceived Eve by his craftiness, he says, Your mind should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. So you see, he's addressing this very thing about what does it mean to be led astray. And and we see here in verse 3 how the serpent has a role. Satan has a role in leading people astray in this whole area of deception. 
Now, there's a wealth of important truth here in verse 3, but what I want to do is I want to get to the heart of possibly the most important truth in verse 3 that I suspect you may have just missed as we read the verse. Now, what did you miss in verse 3? Look with me. It talks about, Paul says he fears, he has a fear when it comes to this area of deception. And, And we see about Satan's craftiness. Well, what did you miss? I want to focus your attention on the pronoun your. See the word your? Look at that word your for me. When the Apostle Paul talks about deception, he says, your minds. Here's my question this morning. Who is he concerned about? Who's the your of the your minds? Is is he concerned, the your, is he concerned that the atheist minds might be led astray? Is this being written to the atheist of his day? Or perhaps is when he says your minds, is he addressing this to the Jewish people? Is he concerned that they might be led, led astray? Listen, this is actually, when he says your minds, here's my point. He's actually addressing this to Christians. And I think one of the most important things we need to see from verse 3 is the very real truth. Now listen, it's possible for Christians to be deceived. In fact, this is so important. If you look in your communique, in your outline, I have this marked out for you on the the outline. If you look inside your communique, the very first point A, I want you to write down, Christians can be deceived. Or you can put your name there. James Walker can be deceived. I I realized when I was preparing this message, I realized that a temptation would go with this morning's message. There's going to be a temptation for every one of us in the building to think this is something that applies to those other people, not me. This applies to only uh, other groups or other peoples. I see, I'm a Christian. This happens to me all the time. I'll be addressing a subject such as the occult or maybe uh, New Age spirituality, I'll be addressing something in the area of counterfeits, and, and I'll have someone come up to me after the meeting. This might be in a church or in a seminary, a Bible college, and he'll come after, afterwards and he'll say, he'll say, Mr. Walker, I'm thankful there's an organization like Watchman Fellowship doing the research and, and understanding, recognizing in this whole area of discernment and avoiding deception. But then he'll say this, he'll say, and I'm glad I can't be deceived. You see, I've been a Christian now for 10 years. Well, actually, verse 3 is addressed to Christians. Christians can be deceived. In fact, if you do a word study and you go through deception in the New Testament, usually warnings against deception are given not to the lost, but to believers. Being a Christian doesn't mean you can't be deceived. In fact, bear with me. Being a Christian technically doesn't even mean that you're smart. Now think about it. All that means is that your sins have been forgiven. Why? I know what you're thinking. You think, well, okay, Christians, I agree, James, Christians can be deceived, but you don't understand. We're Baptists. We might be the worst. Did you know that the Latter-day Saints in 1988 did a news story in which they claimed at that time that they were baptizing into the Mormon church 282 Baptists every seven days. 282 of us Baptists being baptized, converted into Mormonism. So yes, Christians can be deceived. Why, why can Christians be deceived? I think a reason for that is for many of us as, as Christians, our doctrine is still under construction. Now what I mean by that is many of us, most of us perhaps, have not really gotten all of our doctrine put together and constructed. See, Bible doctrine fits together. It's built 
line upon line, precept upon precept. See, Bible doctrine works a lot like one of those thousand-piece puzzles. Now, I don't know if you've done this. In your, your, your dining room table, have you ever gotten together, let me just see, and put together one of those thousand-piece puzzles? Thousand? Okay, how about six giant-piece puzzles? Yeah, you're with me on that. How many of Okay, same principle. See, when that puzzle is not put together, someone can come along and grab a whole handful of puzzle pieces and walk off, and you won't know it. Or they can even come along with a whole handful of puzzle pieces don't even belong in your puzzle, and they can dump it in the pile, and you'll never know until when, until you get the puzzle put together. Bible doctrine fits carefully like a puzzle. And many of us have never taken the time to get that in place. And so when we are vulnerable, when somebody comes along with something that sounds good, that really is, not, uh, is really not coming from God. Well, there's two things that I wanted to share with you to help Christians avoid deception. This is why it's so important, because a lot of us, we don't have our doctrine really, really finished construction. And so two of the resources that I wanted to mention to you that you have, that we have available, you might want to take notes. First of all, we have a, a great website at www.watchman.org. It's a good website that's about a thousand different articles. I want to encourage you to jot that down and go there. The other thing in your notes, we have something that we call the index of religions. And what it is, the index of religions is what we call our profile notebook. And what this is, is it's, it's every profile we've ever done. Remember, every other month we publish a profile. For 14 years we've done that. And there are close to 100 profiles available, everything from acupuncture to Armstrongism to astrology to Church of Scientology. We have uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, the Raelian religion, voodoo, um, hypnosis, all kinds of profiles on what today's Christian needs to know about. And what I want to do to help you avoid deception, we've got almost 100. What I'd like to do for the remainder of my time this morning, I would like to read you the list in alphabetical order, beginning with the A's. Now, I'm not going to do that. There's no, way you, there's no way you're going to be able to remember 100 different cults and occult groups and new religious movements and controversial doctrines and practices. I, I'm not going to ask you this morning to try, try to memorize or learn all 100 in the notebook. I'm not even going to suggest that you try to memorize or learn 25 or 30 of them. But what I am going to ask you to learn, listen, I'm going to encourage you to to write this down, to memorize it, to burn into your hearts. Not not 100, but I think you've got to walk out this morning knowing the three major characteristics. Because in verse 4, the scriptures this morning give us three critical warning signs or three... Three spiritual indicators that are going to help us distinguish between someone who comes to us representing the gospel of Jesus Christ and a false teacher on the other hand. Now, I know you're thinking this morning, James, if it's counterfeit, I'll be able to spot that right away. And perhaps you will. But let me tell you this this morning, perhaps you won't. I've studied this for over 20 years. And over the course of my studies, looking at, um, we have files on thousands of different new religious movements. And what I've noticed in my study is I've learned about how deception works. And what I've discovered in my research over the years is that this, deception by its very nature, well, it's deceptive. Now, here's what I mean by that. Nobody's going to come up to you and say, excuse me, I'm a false prophet. Would you like to join our group? 
Nobody's going to tell you today, excuse me, I'm demon-possessed. Would you like to learn more? No, listen, they're going to be good people, and they're going to have a Bible in their hands, and they're going to use a lot of the right terms. If we don't know what to look for, this is my point, every one of us could be vulnerable. What do we look for? Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says to us this, For if one comes, so we see here in verse 4, somebody's going to be coming. It might be a teacher or a missionary or it might be a friend at work or at school. Students, it might be somebody that you know in school. or it could, I tell you today how they come. It, they could come to you on the radio or television. But somebody comes to you, it says this, and preaches, here's three things, preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached. That's the first. Or, here's the second. Or you receive a different spirit which you have not received. Or, and here, here's the third, or a different gospel which you have not accepted. And he says, you bear this beautifully. Now what he means is, he's, he's concerned, he fears, you're going to go right after this false teacher. So what the scriptures give us this morning, the three general characteristics or the three major warning signs... You could think of them as the three another's. Did you, ca- did you catch that? Three another's. We have to watch out, first of all, for another Jesus. Secondly, another spirit. And thirdly, another gospel. So you're taking notes in your outline. Point number one, another Jesus. Point two, another spirit. Point three, another gospel. Let's look at number one, another Jesus. Now we have many examples in the notebook what I want to do, though, is to, just to give you an idea of what to look for when it comes to another Jesus, I want to give a, a couple of examples. And the very first thing I want you to see is counterfeits usually do not say, we hate Jesus. Oh, they believe in Jesus, they preach Jesus, but the Scriptures warn us this morning, the thing to watch for, it might not be the same Jesus we're talking about. It could be what the Scriptures call a different Jesus or another Jesus. So let me give you a couple of examples, and uh, what I want to do is I want to start off with an easy example to kind of build your confidence up. We're going to start with an easy one. As I share with you, we have files and information on literally thousands of new religious movements, cults, counterfeit Christian groups. Let me tell you about one of the strangest cults we have in our whole file system. Now, when I I say this is a strange cult, I, I look at cults almost every day. This group is strange even by cult standards. Or you could argue it's groups like this that give cults a bad name. It's headquartered in Southern California, in the San Diego area. Uh, the, group, the leader of the group is a man named Dr. John Allegro, a Ph.D., Dead Sea Scroll Scholar. The church, by the way, is tax-exempt, recognized by the state of California as a nonprofit corporation. But the name of the group, you're not going to believe it unless you're taking notes. The name of the group, A in your outline, it's called the Sacred Mushroom of the Cross. And unbelievably, John Allegro and his followers believe that Jesus is a mushroom. In fact, uh, John Allegro wrote a book about Jesus and put a picture of Jesus on the cover of his book. And he says, Jesus is that mushroom there on the cover of the book. Now, here, bear with me for a moment. The problem with a group like this, okay, let's make sure we are on the same page. How many realize there is a problem with the group? 
Uh, Houston, we have a problem. Here, here's the problem. If you were to see John Allegro today and say, John, do you believe in Jesus? What would John tell you? I believe in Christ. I wrote a book about Jesus. Now, here's what we're already seeing. Counterfeits will use our words. Jesus, Spirit, God. The Apostles' Creed that we just sang, many of them can, can just about go down that with you point by point. But they use our words. But listen, they have different definitions for those words. They use our vocabulary, but their own dictionary. Now, the good news about this particular cult, the mushroom cult, you don't have to be a real Bible expert to figure this one out. Uh, Let's just say that you move to Southern California. And let's say you get invited to the church and you notice the people are very friendly and they invite you to the church, but you notice something unusual your very first Sunday. You see that on the wall they have a cross, and on that cross you see the outline of a crucified mushroom. And you say, you know, I can't put my finger on it. Now, some of us are quicker than others, but how many of you within the first 30 seconds, you know there's a problem with this group, in 30 seconds, you... Okay, how about within the first six months? You begin to suspect something's not right. Here's what I'm trying to say. This isn't a very good counterfeit. Even if you don't know the Bible that well, when somebody says Jesus is a mushroom, that just doesn't resonate. That doesn't doesn't deceive very many people. But here's the problem this morning. Usually the counterfeit is something much more difficult to spot than something so obvious like a mushroom. Let me just share with you for just a moment a B on your outline, let me mention the Jesus of Mormonism for just a moment. Now, you need to know the Mormon people are some of the nicest people you'll ever meet. And they're very sincere and they're very dedicated. I, I was born and raised a Mormon, fourth generation myself. And this evening at 6.30, I'm going to tell you part of that story. Let me just say this. The Jesus of Mormonism sounds biblical initially. In fact, the whole time I was a Mormon, I thought I was a Christian. And one of the reasons was that the official name for the Mormon church is the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And and there are many similarities. I I believed and was taught as a Mormon that Jesus um, died on the cross and he's the savior and he rose again and he sits at the right hand of the father. I was taught clearly that Jesus was the son of God. But I was also taught that Jesus was not the only begotten Son of God. As a Latter-day Saint, I was taught that God, our Heavenly Father, is actually married. In Mormonism, there's Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother. And I was taught that God and His wife have babies, spirit children, billions of them. And that two of our older brothers both wanted to be the Savior of the earth. Jesus wanted to be Savior, but so did one of the other sons of God. His name was Lucifer, the brother of Jesus and the brother of the rest of us. And Jesus was chosen to be the Savior over Lucifer. I was taught as a Mormon that when Christ came to this earth, he was not begotten of the Holy Spirit, not the virgin birth as we understand it historically. I was taught as a Latter-day Saint that Jesus himself, when he grew to manhood, was married, that Jesus married three women, Mary, Her sister Martha and Mary Magdalene were three of the wives of Christ. The Book of Mormon teaches that after Christ died on the cross and was resurrected, Jesus actually came here to America to preach the gospel to the Native Americans, to the Indians, who were actually Jewish, according to the Book of Mormon. I'm going to show you a DVD, a video clip this evening, of a new documentary that shows 
Native American Indians are not Jewish. They've done the DNA now. And you'll see Mormon scholars who are devastated, Mormon scientists devastated by this information. So, again, the, Mormon have a, the Mormons have a lot going for them. They're articulate, intelligent, they're well-meaning, they're sincere. The problem for our Latter-day Saint friends is, is not their sincerity. The problem, well, actually, the problem is right here in verse 4. The problem is wrong Jesus. See, you could be right on everything you believe, but if you have the wrong Jesus, that's a deadly case of mistaken identity. Let me explain it this way. You can be wrong on some doctrine and still be a Christian. Now, it's not good to be wrong on any doctrine, but you can afford to be wrong on some doctrine and still be... You can be wrong, for example, on missions and still be a Christian, on church government and still be a Christian. You can be even wrong on eschatology, the study of the end times, and still be a Christian. You say, well, James, I haven't even read the Left Behind series. That's okay. You can still be a Christian. But there are some doctrine that are so essential to the Christian faith that we cannot be wrong on them. And one of them is, who is Jesus? The same is true with the Jesus of the watchtower. See on your outline. You know, with a group this size, you know, almost certainly even this afternoon, some of you are going to get that knock on the door. And you go to the door this afternoon and you're going to see, sure enough, two Jehovah's Witnesses are right there at your door. And you're going to say, James told me you would be here today. Don't, don't say that. That's the wrong thing to say. But if you ask that Jehovah's Witness at your door, do you believe in Jesus? What's any Jehovah's Witness going to tell you? Sure, we believe in Jesus. We love Jesus. But the Scriptures tell us that may be the wrong question. The, the, the correct question is, which Jesus? The Jesus of the watchtower is not God in the flesh, not the second person of the Trinity. They believe that Jesus' real identity, he's really not God. He's really the archangel Michael that was born at Bethlehem. The angel became man. Not God becoming man, but the angel, Michael, becoming man. They teach he did not die on a cross. They teach that he did not rise bodily from the dead. They teach that um, the man, Jesus, is dead forever dead. That's a direct quote. That's, again, another Jesus. I want to give one more example. Uh, It's not in your notes, but if you want to just write in, maybe D in your outline. One more example. I want to just mention the Jesus of Oprah for just a moment. Now, let me tell you, Oprah is the, maybe the most influential woman in America right this minute. She can merely mention the name of a book, it becomes a New York Times bestseller. And Oprah was raised Baptist. But as a model of millions of Americans, Oprah has made a transition from the traditional Christ to a metaphysical or New Age concept of Jesus. Now, I can share with you, and this evening we're going to give out the profiles on Oprah, but rather than me, than me just telling you what Oprah believes about Jesus, it might be best for Oprah to tell you in her own words what she thinks of Christ. I have a video clip. Let's hear about the Jesus according to Oprah. Talking, but anyway, uh, it talks about one of the points it brings out is one of the mistakes that human beings make is believing that there is only one way to live and that we don't accept that there are diverse ways of being in the world that there are millions of ways to be a human being and and many ways no but many paths to what you call god and her path might be something else and when she gets there she might call it the light but 
her loving and her kindness and her generosity brings her, if it brings her to the same point that it brings you, it doesn't matter whether she called it God along the way or not. And I guess the danger that could be on that, I mean, it, it sounds great on the onset, but if you really look at both sides, I there could be couldn't a possibly be just one way. What, what about Jesus? What about Jesus? There's only one way. There is one way and only one way, and there that is through Jesus. Be. There couldn't possibly be with because a million people Because you say there the isn't. There couldn't possibly be. Because you say, you intellectualize it and say there isn't. If no. you don't believe that, you're all buying into the lie. But that makes you right. Do you think, do you think that if you, if you are somewhere on the planet... Where are you some, if you're somewhere on the planet and you never hear the name of Jesus, you never hear the name of Jesus, but yet you live with a loving heart, you lived as Jesus would have had you to live, you lived for the same purpose that Jesus came to the planet to teach us all, but you are in some remote part of the earth and you never heard the name of Jesus, you cannot get to heaven, you think? And that is covered in the scriptures, too. People are talked about that. God knows the heart. Does God care about your heart or God care about if you call his son Jesus? Well, you know... Oprah, God, Jesus cannot come back until that gospel is preached in the four corners of this earth. So, you know, figure it out. Okay. Okay, I can't get into a religious argument with you. It's not religion, Oprah. I can't get into a religious argument with you, Jonathan. It's not religion. In the Bible, it says the important thing is to love God and love each other. Right. And the question is, how can we get back to our center? And there's questions that help us to stay back on center like a trusted friend that we can ask every day. How can I serve? How can I love? And those are the most important questions. Right, so if Jill is asking the question in her life, which is one of the things she's concerned about going back to community for, She's asking the questions, how can I serve, how can I love, which is what Jesus came to the planet and asked us to do. But she doesn't use the name Jesus. And there's no problem with that as far as I'm concerned. I measure people You're by saying how there's well a problem they love, with that, how well they feel peace, how much glory yeah. they no, give in I'm their life. No, I'm talking about how people, what people do with their hearts and how much they love. That's how you people, that's how we see it. We aren't listening to God, we're listening to us. But God, doesn't God, do you argue that God would, doesn't want us just to love each other as we oh, would? No, 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 I would never argue that at all. That's love God as God first and then love each other second. That's absolutely what he said. But I'm saying, are you going to hang her up because she doesn't use I'm the name not, God or Jesus? I will Jesus? embrace her and love her, but God probably is going to, Oprah. Read his word. Read See, his that's why she said by the way, we put that same video clip up on our website. We also put it up on GodTube. And one of the reasons we did that, we would love to see 100,000 Christians praying for Oprah. Could you imagine what an impact she could have for the real Jesus? Uh, but Oprah has transformed into a, a different kind of spirituality. So when she says Jesus, she's not talking about the only way to God. She's not talking about the, the uh, literal Son of God who... Uh, who died on the cross is the only way to give eternal life to those who, uh, to humanity. It's a different Jesus. Now, the scriptures tell us, though, it's interesting, not only must we be watching out for another Jesus, secondly, there's a warning of a, another spirit. If you look at verse 4, it says, it says it this way, or, now watch this, you receive a different spirit which you have not received. Now, what does it mean to receive a, a different spirit other than the one we've already received? The spirit we've already received is the Holy Spirit. And it's possible for believers to be influenced by spiritual manifestations that aren't coming from the Holy Spirit at all. 
In fact, the Bible tells us that there are many other kinds of spirits in the world, not holy in any sense, demonic spirits, fallen angels. I I wish I could take you with me to some of the psychic fairs, some of the metaphysical bookstores, to see some of the spiritual manifestations. Now, I know a lot of what I see is fake. But in some cases, I see things that I'm absolutely convinced are real, but I know it's not the Holy Spirit. It's a different kind of spirit. In fact, you may want to put this in your notes. Something can be real and still not be true. Now, what I mean by that is there are spiritual manifestations. In fact, tonight, I'm going to talk about that in connection with Mormonism. There's a spiritual phenomenon talked about in the Book of Mormon, Moroni chapter 10, that I think in many cases is a real spiritual testimony, but it's not coming from the Holy Spirit, but from a counterfeit spirit. The same could be said for many religions. There are spiritual things that happen that are not really of God. So here's my, here's my point. As we're looking at things, the danger for us as believers, especially if our doctrine is still under construction, the very danger that we have is we'll see something, and here's the mistake we'll make. We'll say, wow, that was real. That was spiritual. That was supernatural. That must be God. Stop right there. It could be all those things and not be the Holy Spirit. It could be a counterfeit spirit. It could be a spirit other than the spirit we've received. Now, it doesn't mean that Christians can be possessed by these evil spirits. That's impossible for a number of reasons. But it is true that Christians can be influenced by these spiritual phenomena that happens. To think something's from God when it's not. Now, I know what you're thinking this morning. You're thinking, well, James, if it was counterfeit, I would be able to spot that right away. Uh, I can't be deceived. You may be thinking, I've got a pretty good head on my shoulders. I've got a lot of common sense. Well, mark this down for me. Deception has nothing to do with intelligence. It's not really about how smart you are. Let me do a little experiment with you to help you see the point. I want, I want you to raise your hand this morning if your IQ is either average or if you have an IQ which is higher than average. If you'll raise your hand, if your IQ is, if your IQ is average. This guy back here is talking to his wife about that. Let's just, okay, let's do this. Forget that question. If you feel like you have most of your marbles, I want you to raise your hand. If you feel, there won't be a test. Okay, keep your hands up for just a moment. Let me get a good... Okay, that's much better. That's that's 80%. That's very good. What I want to do, a little experiment. Last time I was in Germany, it's been a decade ago, I did something they warn against. I did, as a missionary in Germany, short term, I did a currency exchange with one of the vendors on the street corner. They tell you, you know, don't do that, James. Better go to the bank. Do not do that. Because as a tourist or as a missionary short term, you are very vulnerable for something called counterfeiting. Now, I don't know if you can see from back there, but what if I was to tell you for the sake of the illustration, it turned out that this particular 10 Deutschmark that I received in the currency exchange turned out to be absolutely counterfeit. Then you raised your hand, you have most of your marbles. If I was to pass around the building, let you examine it, hold it up to the light, raise your hand. How many could spot this one's counterfeit? Raise your hand. Okay, I'll make it very simple for you. What if I was to tell you, actually, this one had the wrong man's picture on it? Now, if I was to say that now, who can spot it's fake? She said, now, wait a minute, James. Whose picture's supposed to be on a 10 Deutschmark German currency? See, my point is this. Deception's not about your IQ, your intelligence. Deception comes from not knowing the genuine. Now, here's what I mean by that. The Scriptures, the Bible, here's our genuine 
So our job is when we see a spiritual phenomena, oh, well, I received a spiritual testimony. Oh, I saw something supernatural happen. It was a miracle. Stop right there. What do the scriptures say about that doctrine or about that belief or about that practice? This is how we test that spirit. James, but it was real. Yes, it could be real and still not be true. You have to test those things biblically. That's why the Bible says to us, beloved, don't believe every spirit. But test the spirits because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Well, there's one final warning here in verse 4. We've already seen the, what's the first another. We have to watch out for another one. Jesus. Secondly, another. The third one is another gospel. Verse 4 says it this way. Or a different gospel which you have not accepted. Well, how do we recognize the counterfeit gospels? Again, the best way to recognize any counterfeit is by being absolutely familiar with the genuine. So what is the real gospel? If you're taking notes, our word gospel in the New Testament comes from a Greek word, the Greek word euangelion, which simply translated means the good news. That's all it means. The word gospel means good news. But the good news of the real gospel, the true gospel does have an element of bad news that goes with that. Have you ever had somebody ask, which do you want first? We've got good news, we've got bad news. When you read the New Testament, you see there's good news, but you also see there's some bad news. For the bad news, for example, the Scriptures tell us that all of us have sinned and come short of God's glory. Sin means we've done things like lying or cheating or stealing or having evil thoughts. And the Bible says we've all done it. We've all sinned. And the bad news is the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Now, death means to be separated from God for all eternity. And that's the wages. We all know what wages are. It means you get paid for what you've done. The wages of sin is death. That's, that's the bad news. I, I'm always amazed the number of times, I know you hear this too, the number of times I hear Christians who aren't clear on this, Christians saying things like, well, you know, I only hope that when I die, I get my just reward. I'm thinking, I don't. <laughs> you see, I'm actually a sinner, and my just reward would be what? Death. I don't want my just reward. I want grace. Now mark this down. I'm going to pick this, up, this theme up again this evening, but let me just mark this down. One of the defining characteristics of the genuine gospel, listen, the real Bible gospel is always the grace gospel. Now grace means undeserved favor or unmerited uh, favor. The, the word grace means that God does something as a gift that you can never earn, never buy, never pay for, never be worthy of. You can't go to church or do enough good deeds. You must receive it freely as a gift. That's what grace means. Well, the counterfeit gospel is the gospel of works. Now, it's sometimes disguised. But the bottom line, counterfeit Christianity will usually tell you that what Christ did helps save you. But what Jesus did is not sufficient to save you. You need Jesus plus good works. Some will tie salvation into magazine distribution. As a Latter-day Saint, I was taught my salvation was based in part on going to qualifying to go into the secret temple ceremony. In order to qualify, you have to not drink coffee or tea. Now, I noticed out here this first service, that table out there with I, I was worried about you guys ever since I saw that. This is the coffee service here. 
coffee, tea. I was taught that my salvation was based in part on whether I was a full tithe payer, giving 10% of my income in order to qualify to go into the temple. I'll share more of that story this evening. But let me just say this. Please don't misunderstand. True Christians do good works. We pray, we read our Bible, we go to church, we give money to church, we give money to missions. But listen, we do all, listen, here's the difference. True Christians do all these things because we're saved, not in order to earn or buy our salvation. The gospel of grace says that our salvation was bought with a price, but that was not in dollars and cents. It was in the blood of our Savior Jesus Christ. The three things to look for, another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the real gospel. Help us, Lord, to be able to know the truth of your word so clearly that when anything comes that does not line up, that we might be able to instantly recognize it as a counterfeit. And help us also, Lord, to be able to love those of our family members, our friends, our neighbors who have gone down that wrong path, that we might be able to speak the truth in love, that we might be able to earnestly contend for the faith, that we might be able to see them come to the real Jesus, the real, through the real spirit, accepting the real gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.